Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, here with Linda Teeler, um, Executive Associate Athletics Director for Administration with the University of Florida's uh, University Athletic Association. Uh, mouthful there, but this is part of the um, University of Florida Sports Management Biz- Sports Business Insights from Gator Nation series. Um, really looking forward to talking to Linda today about her career path, but also part of the insights from what's going on in college athletics right now, kind of where's the future of it going. Um, we'll dive in, but Linda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Very much. Glad to be here. All right. That, that was a mouthful. So let's, let's yeah. get into, <laughs> um, you know, just a casual conversation, right? You started off being a student athlete and I would uh, assume that that was kind of your larger purpose of getting into collegiate athletics from the start, but your career path as a whole, um, you know, starting at University of San Diego, can you talk a little bit about what that journey was like for you and maybe what the biggest lesson you learned along the way was? Sure. You know, it's interesting because um, I did play college basketball and, um, but when I graduated, I really didn't have a sense of the industry of college athletics. It was a small uh, program uh, and quite frankly, I didn't have a lot of interaction with the administration and the things behind the scenes. And so when I graduated, um, I went to the University of Texas Law School, really thinking, you know, I had this business degree and maybe I would be, um, I'd work in professional sports or I'd be corporate counsel or something because I really just didn't have a sense of college athletics as an industry. While I was at Texas, uh, in between my second and third year uh, in law school, I volunteered my time in the athletic department. Um, And that's really when I came to understand that not only college athletics as an industry, but these, um, you know, very specialized departments and specialized skills and things that go into making an enterprise that size run. So that's really where I got the bug in terms of working in college athletics as an industry. Um, I graduated from law school and I did an internship, um, the only true way to get into the business. Um, I did an internship at UCLA in compliance, and then I was hired uh, as a full-time director of compliance at Santa Clara University shortly after um, three or four months in that internship. And I was there for about five years and I worked with really great people um, at Santa Clara, great institution, really good learning experience. Um, My boss there, he really was one of the first um, examples for me that, um, you know, every opportunity is a good opportunity if you work with great people. And um, Carol Williams, great man. he really um, just provided additional opportunities for me as I became, as I got my footing and, and was ready. Um, you know, at, by the time I left, I was overseeing five sports. I was uh, the senior woman administrator. I had some internal departments and really just kept pro- providing additional opportunities as I was ready. Uh, from there, I took a job as um, associate commissioner for the Southland Conference. Uh, and we were officed in the Plano, Texas area. Uh, ironically, my boss at that time, Greg Sankey, who's now uh, the commissioner of the SEC. So Greg and I go a long way back. And, um, you know, the lesson I learned at Santa Clara about working with great people who are interested and invested in you really carry on um, with my experience at the Southland. Greg, uh, wonderful to work with, a fantastic boss, you know, provided a lot of opportunities for me. And that was really clarifying for me in terms of my career path, because what I understood um, shortly after joining the Southland is that I missed working closely with coaches and student athletes. And conference office work is fantastic. And it's certainly, you know, one aspect of the business. But, um, you know, I'd show up at championships and they would 
you know, someone, a team would win and I'd hand them the trophy, but I was not invested in any part of their overall sort of journey. These kids didn't know who I was. The coaches and I had a relationship, but not where we had really struggled through anything hard. So it was clarifying. I missed being on college campus. Um, when the opportunity at Florida came um, available, jumped at that, literally with both feet. Great opportunity um, and was hired by Jeremy Foley now almost 18 years ago. And uh, I have been here ever since. You make it sound so easy. I mean, no. it was like, <laughs> I, I can give you more stories of struggle there, you know, yeah, well, there, there's struggle, um, but it, it's been a great journey. Yeah. I, I mean, one, one point that I'll go back to, and, and this might be kind of a, a, one of those like at the fork in the road type of moments for you, but you went to law school and then you take an internship in sports. Like that probably wasn't <laughs> yeah. what everyone in your law class was doing. And your, your parents might've also said like, Hey, what are you, what, what are you doing? What is happening? So as uh, ironically, you know, so you law school graduation and, you know, this clerkship and this, you know, high powered law firm. And I literally took a job for $400 a month in Los Angeles, California. Um, but uh, I had the support of, I was at that point I was married. Uh, my husband was on board and, you know, it just, it was, if this is something that you really want to do, there's really very few entry points and, and it often comes through an internship. So, um, you know, you're, there isn't a way to circumvent that. So if this is really what you want to do, let's give this a try. And I was just really fortunate that that internship, you know, very quickly turned into a full-time position, which isn't the case. I mean, you know, college athletics, there's not a lot of growth. There's not a lot of, you know, there's no new institutions popping up. There's not a lot of jobs created annually. So it takes a bit of uh, patience and persistence to break in. But um, I was fortunate, I had a lot of support and uh, I was able to secure a full-time job, you know, not long after. But yes, my um, my uh, accolades at the time of graduation were much different than my classmates um, who were going on again to be clerks for a court or high-powered attorneys. How did you How did you handle? Because if you looked at someone coming from law school now with not only undergrad but then a law school degree, and then they go and apply for an internship, like most people go, well, that person's overqualified. Like we're not going to take them right but how did you approach your interview and your journey to try and get in the door because someone would look look at you and go you really want to do this you know ironically um particularly if you're going to work in compliance that's that is a pretty standard kind of path um, i also interviewed at the ncaa at similar timing to do an internship there as well so law school grads um an entry point really into the business is through compliance work. And so um, while it may seem like, you know, you're maybe over-credentialed to work, to get a starting compliance, it's really, it's become fairly standard, not required, but but standard for sure. Sure, what's the biggest lesson you took from law school now onto the business side, like post-compliance, post that side of things, yeah. and now it's kind of seeing it, um, you know, translate on, onto the business side? You know, I think, the greatest lessons um, from law school, you know, when you, when you get a law degree, you can't perform surgery, you don't save lives necessarily, but you learn a set of skills, um, you know, taking a set of facts, applying some rules, circumstances, policies, um, and coming up with a way to facilitate um, a solution to a problem. And that really, that set of skills analyzing things, trying to provide not only maybe one answer, but several answers to a, a problem. Um, I, I just think that has served me well. I think it serves um, people well who come out of that environment into college athletics, because that's really what we do. 
you know, you you have coaches and student athletes and budgets and compliance and all these things. And okay, let's take a look at what we have. What's the best outcome that we can come up with? And um, helping just you know to kind of facilitate better outcomes. And really, with coaches, you know, when you work with coaches, they often don't need answers. What they need are options, and they need um, someone to help facilitate and kind of help them get where they're going. They know where they want to go. It's just how can you help facilitate, you know, a path to that? And again, I think the skills learned in law school really um, come in handy. Yeah, you mentioned kind of that facilitation of a path, right, to, to, to ultimately get to the better outcomes. Yeah. What are the biggest challenges that an athletic department faces today? If you kind of put COVID aside, right, like that's the assumed budgetary, right. you know, health and safety, et cetera. But overall, what are the biggest challenges? Oh, you know, um, I think regardless of size of department, conference, affiliation, what have you, really is about resources and um, the financial and human resources and really maximizing those two things. Um, and I think, you know, the challenge is not overemphasizing um, one aspect of the program over others. And that might be a sport, that might be facilities over people, people over over um, facilities, you know, it's, it's really trying to find some sort of balance. How can you take the one pie, your, whatever the resource pie is, and allocate things where you end up, where student athletes walk away feeling like they had a great experience, they were able to get a degree in a field that they um, feel good about, and they had a, um, an opportunity to compete at the highest level, whatever that means for your current circumstance. And, I think one of the challenges, so there's the allocation of resources and, and trying to manage all that. But another challenge is being okay with being misunderstood. I think, um, you know, college athletics for um, a very long time, and I don't see this resolving anytime soon, you know, there's a lot of misconception, misperception, and um, just generally misunderstood, except for those that are in the business doing the work. And I think, um, you know, if you come on campus and you talk to student athletes, um, many, most, really value the experience that they're having and they feel like um, it's an opportunity worth taking. Um, and so the challenge from an administrative standpoint is being okay with being misunderstood, maybe nationally, internationally, you know, there are some that will dive in and try and get to the heart of things. Others, you know, it can be just sort of, um, college athletics can be an easy target. And um, if you get caught up, in that perception, it makes your the work that you're doing hard. Just focus on the coaches, focus on the student athletes, know that in the end, um, you're providing the best service to those two groups that you can and let um, that being misunderstood sort of fall on the, to the wayside a little bit. Yeah, so if we, if we A, both great examples. Um, you know, when you think about now the current landscape and COVID and student athlete health and safety, there's obviously the current issues now, but what are you trying to get ahead of that isn't necessarily a current issue, whether it be obviously mental health is one, but it might be more severe kind of down the road. So what are you trying to get ahead of? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a great question because we are always trying to um, anticipate. And I really do think, you know, mental health is a huge issue. And I think um, often we just make it too simple. Um, this is really about not only um, student athletes and helping them right now, whether it's um, relationships or anxiety, depression, um, eating disorders, whatever their current issue is, but helping equip them for the thing that comes next. Um, 
And often that can be hard because you really, you know, someone comes in with 18 years worth of living and they're here for three or four or five, six years, and then they exit. And so what can you do that's impactful in that interim? And um, you know, maybe not life-changing or earth-shattering, but can we help um, in one way that prepares them for the next thing? And maybe that's just um, normalizing um, mental health services. You know, I feel like, you know, that's been a huge priority for us is um, the having student athletes who are, you know, often elite and um, independent and perfectionists, having them embrace um, having help, you know, being open to mental health services. So we can re reduce the stigma and normalize that in some way. Okay, well, whether or not there's a huge impact while those student athletes are here, maybe we've set the table for when they leave that when the moment comes that they would be amenable to sort of, you know, receiving those services later. So it's it's really just, can we set the table for the next thing? And again, can't undo 18 years worth of living, nor would you want to, you know, how can we enhance it um, and provide student athletes with maybe just that next thing that helps them um, as they, when they depart here, are they better for having been a part of our program? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you mentioned, you're trying to anticipate, right? There's always going to be things that pop up and change and, you know, society just changing around us, right, as well. And that's a big component of it as well. But when you think about your opportunity to be on the Competition Oversight Committee as the chair and um, some different learnings and new perspectives that have probably come out for, you know, for better or for worse uh, over the last year, what have been the couple things that come to mind as you've been able to be kind of thrown into the gauntlet per se, uh, in terms of learning about, you know, the, the competition oversight committee. Yeah. You know, um, when I joined the committee and my tenure as chair started, you know, who knew what this year was going to look like. Um, and so I feel privileged to have been a part of kind of helping lead that group, um, during this time. And I think for me, one of the biggest learnings was how impactful these championships are to coaches and student athletes. And it was so clear when everything came to a halt a year ago. Um, I mean, student athletes and coaches were devastated. And I think sometimes, you know, when you just get in the business of what comes next, what, what comes next, you know, we're putting on this event, we have this game, here's this championship, and um, you can lose the insight on how meaningful the thing is that you were doing, right? And so um, it just became so clear that these are really, these are highlight moments. These are the pinnacle sometimes of a student athlete's athletic career. Um, and so let's just keep them at the forefront. And so in this time during COVID, um, the conversation with the Competition Oversight Committee there, which is an awesome group, I, I certainly don't take credit at that group effort here, but um, what can we do to make sure student athletes have maximum opportunities for access, that teams, you know, how flexible can we be to make sure that um, we don't have another situation where um, people who have trained and practiced and competed up to the moment of the championship and then they're deprived of that opportunity. What can we do to, to keep that championship opportunity available to as many coaches, student athletes, teams as possible? So um, again, for me, the biggest learning was these are really impactful events and they're, they are going to produce lifetime highlights and we ought to just bend over backwards to make sure that we, um, we have them to the fullest extent that we can in this COVID environment. 
it becomes kind of a cyclical nature, right? You go from one season to the next, you're like, okay, fall to winter to spring, then you've got your summer programs. Like it's kind of just this wheel that goes around. And you mentioned, you know, you've been at Florida now for 18 years and it's like, you may even mix up which year was which, right? At, the, at this point. I'm terrible at that. I really am. Remember in, no, I, I don't. I remember events, but if you want me to tag a year to it, I got no shot. Well, nowadays, I mean, we were just, we were talking about, we don't even know which day is which. So the fact that, you know, to try and remember which season was which is even harder. And, you know, when you think about um, creating a culture, right, that has, as you mentioned, there, there are only so many programs, there are only so many positions, but you do have people that move around and they, they come and go and there's new, new people that come in. So how do you create a culture where you have people like yourself who have tons of institutional knowledge and you have someone coming in new um, it may be very, very cyclical for you, but it's that other person's first season, right? right? So and how do you balance that? Yeah, and that other person's first season might provide the biggest opportunity for learning for someone like me that's been here for a long time. So um, it is the constant challenge of, you know, we're operating really well, but there is always room to get better. And the minute, and coaches, that that's like their fundamental, that, um, you know, we can take a lot of things from coaches um, you know, that do this as, as a living, but um, they know the minute they become complacent, the minute that they don't adapt, the minute that they don't change their strategy or, you know, whatever it is that they're doing, that's a recipe for failure. That's, that is a lesson for kind of everyone in this business. So yes, I've been here for 18 years, but if I'm doing things the same way I did them 18 years ago, um, that is a recipe for failure. So it is, there is a churn, but is trying to look at things with sort of fresh eyes, new perspective, and, and getting in touch with those that are new to the opportunity, new to the business can be the best way to, to really do that. The, why do you do things that way? Or, um, you know, fresh ideas. It's just, once you think you've got this figured out, um, you're really going to end up in a bad place. So constantly questioning, just trying to get a little bit better, a little different, a little bit more efficient, a little bit more friendly, a little bit more accessible, whatever it is, um, all the time. You mentioned people kind of at the beginning of our episode and how important those were for you, kind of starting your career, right? Kind of similar similar to what you just mentioned in terms of making sure that, you know, one can learn from another and their experiences. When you think about those that are across the industry, right? Obviously, Greg, being at the SEC, at, you know, I'm sure you can learn plenty from him. Um, but as you continue to try and improve Florida as, as the Gators, um, how much is it expanding to the other conferences as opposed to just, you know, talking to your SCC fellows, um, as opposed to, you know, divisions and, and schools like Santa Clara or USD at a, div, you know, a different level? You know, um, so often people will come to the sport management program here at Florida, and this is what they think college athletics is. And this is a part of college athletics, but there are great opportunities at every level, great people working at every level. So it's, it is being exposed to anybody at any conference, any institution that's doing the work. You know, again, there's really good people who um, at the end all have the same thing in mind. They want to provide a great opportunity for student athletes. They want to facilitate coaches in um, their ambitions for their careers. So we have similar motivations and in, in different maybe resources or different approaches. And it's really valuable to get, you know, a chance to learn from them. I also think it's really valuable to get outside of the college athletics bubble some. Um, you know, I, I try as, as best I can to be involved in some community partnerships and, and different committees because 
um, you know, it is easy to, um, you know, when you're in this world, a game cancellation, and that becomes so critical, and we're all, you know, all this hand-wringing, well, you know what, down the road, you know, working with a group that deals with abused and neglected children who care less about a game cancellation, right? So a little perspective, a little way to manage through crisis, and, um, you know, highlighting the things that are really important. So it's getting, not only within your, within the college athletics space, hearing ideas and getting to know people across the spectrum, but um, getting outside the college athletic bubble a little bit and understanding this is really, you know, what we do as administrators, you know, you're, you're operating in a business setting. Um, it's not always so different um, than other business settings. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, for those that are in the pro sports world that have never worked in college athletics, like, what's the one thing that they should know about college athletics as a business that they wouldn't know from the outside? Um, you know, and I think it's the, at the end, the measure might be different. So uh, everybody wants to win, but um, when you're involved in college athletics, the win is also a student athlete graduating. The win is also, um, you know, hiring a new coach and helping them work through, um, you know, coaching at this level and overcoming some adversity and achieving the thing that they really want. Watching a student athlete overcome injury and having success to whatever extent they can. So the measures are different. You know, um, it's not on a it's not on a um, spreadsheet. I know it's not on a financial report. And so that's the difference. And it's not. Um, it, it's just a different way of thinking. Changing the outcomes you're looking for. Again, um, you know, a student athlete who you met on their recruiting visit um, and watched them sort of struggle. Um, whether it was athletically, academically, in the minute that they have their senior night and they graduate, that's a huge win in, in, in where um, you may not be able to measure that in dollars or records. That's Those are the measures often that we're looking for. Yeah, and, and you mentioned a little bit earlier, but even kind of what do you prepare them next for, right? What are they going to go in and do? And, um, you know, now that you've been even just a part of the Gator family for 18 years, you've been able to see 18 years worth of, you know, graduating student athletes that have gone on to do probably incredible things, right? No matter what part of the industry they're in, whether that be banking, whether that be law, right? Whatever, wherever it is, um, you know, it's a tight-knit community, right? Everyone's kind of connected across the country, um, you know, because they bleed that blue and orange, right? And um, so very, very neat in that sense. Last one before we wrap up and go to rapid fire, you know, community you mentioned is, is, is a huge component of any college athletic department, college athletic town, um, because, you know, unlike UCLA, where you were in, you know, uh, Los Angeles, you know, many of them are in, you know, your smaller towns. What does community mean to you? Like when someone asks, hey, what, what's the community of Gainesville like? Yeah. What, what, what comes to mind? Well, that's a great question. So um, I think it's about, um, sort of home and welcoming and change and growth. And so Gainesville over my 18 years is a very different city than it was when I first got here. Um, we have a Whole Foods for goodness sakes, um, you know. <laughs> so if that's not a measure of progress, I don't know what is. So it's really, you know, um, it's about, it's the, the people and um, the vibe and um, sort of the institutions. You know, the university plays a huge role in the Gainesville community. and so. Um, and athletics does as well. And if, you know, 
we should provide as much support to the community as the community provides to the athletic department or to the institution. So um, how can we invest in each other and make this a good and better place to live? And again, so that may be, you know, I have some personal interests as it relates to women and children. So investing in those um, areas in the community that can help make things better because you know what those people come and they invest in us they invest in our student athletes so it's just being a part of something and um you know like like a coach's career like you want to see you know so continual improvement over time can can we make this a better community to live in safer more equitable um you know warmer uh, you know what are the things that we can do to make it better here and i think it's up to all of us to really participate in that no, all great, all great outcomes and, and, you know, striving for excellence there. We'll start with Gainesville for the rapid fire. Um, your favorite spot in town to eat. So you're talking to somewhat like we have a lot of events. I don't eat out a lot. Um, I'm going to go. Uh, there's a sushi place downtown um, that I enjoy. Uh, uh, Dragonfly. All right. Perfect. Um, you, you play basketball in college. Um, I don't know what position you play, but if you were to play a different position, what would it have been? So, um, believe it or not, I played center, um, which is like no centers, you know, I would get tossed around. I got tossed around that. I definitely get tossed around now. You know, I would change sports. My daughter is a volleyball player and I would play volleyball because I, I think, you know what, all your friends are on the same side of the net. No one's <laughs> elbows, you know, it's uh, lots of, you know, lots of feedback and um, lots of support. So I would play volleyball. All right, so I'll, I'll change the question then. So if you were to play volleyball, what position would you play in volleyball? Um, I would play um, on the right side. So I would hit, but be um, maybe a little bit more in the supporting role than someone that's getting all, all the balls coming their way. Got it. All right, all right. So needless to say, uh, you're getting a few points up on the scoreboard. You're making a few blocks, you know, rotating in and out team player. I, that would be my goal for sure. Okay. All right. Um, most interesting fact about Austin, Texas, now that it's becoming the new tech hub, uh, yeah. when, you, when you were there, what's, what's something that's, you know, home to Austin, um, that you loved? That's so interesting. Cause it was, you know, before when I was there, it wasn't really that, you know, um, so watching that town totally transform has been amazing. Um, I'm going to go with Tex-Mex food. So um, because so growing up in California, like we have a very specific type of Mexican food in California. And it's we're very protective of it. And we all have our favorite spots. And so um, Austin was my entree into Tex-Mex. And I'm still I'm still California at heart. This is still before California Mexican food. But that that's my that's my nod to Austin. I, I was first exposed and gained a little love for Tex-Mex. Wonderful. Um, food seems to be a similar uh, rapid fire question here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll wrap up with this last one. You've got the Toreros. You've yeah. got- Good job campus. with that though, by the way. I, I, I've been to the campus once or twice. So it's, and which one of the most beautiful campuses there hands is, down. hands down, hands down. Um, and then the Broncos, my, my correct Yes, answer. very nice. Okay. So which, which one has the best mascot? Oh, Toreros, hands down. Hands down. Bullfighter, um, you know, go into the arena, take on this big challenge. Toreros. 
have struggled in my time, they're struggled with trying to make that person, the you know, in the costume look like something you were afraid of. But yes, the Torero, I would I'd put it at the top of the mascot list. So fair to say that if you had to get into a mascot costume, as many do when they're an intern, you would have gotten into the Torero suit or would you be a gator? Um, so here's the thing, I'm six foot two, so there is no mascot costume that is built to accommodate a six foot two person. So I would just, I would be ruled out by size, size alone. Hey, fair enough, fair enough. Well, Linda, really appreciate uh, your insights, your advice um, and perspectives on the college athletics industry, uh, your experiences and journey along the way. Thanks for being a part of this Sports Insights, uh, Sports Business Insights series uh, from Gator Nation. Well, thank you for having me, it was a pleasure. Thank you.